This is the podcast for Woodland Presbyterian Church in Memphis, Tennessee. We are maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. We hope you enjoy the message, and if you'd like to learn more about our church, look us up at woodlandpres.org. Thanks so much. May the Lord bless you. So we're studying the book of Romans, which means we're considering this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to his brothers and sisters in the city of Rome. And as we have discussed uh, in, in weeks past, we're just trying to understand how are we listening in on this conversation, right? Paul didn't write the letter to us, but I think Paul wrote the letter for us. Obviously inspired by the Holy Spirit that, that God revealed himself to Paul and used this letter to the church in Rome, but for us. So we think about what's going on in the city of Rome at this time. It's, it's one of the biggest cities in, in all of the Mediterranean. It's a, it's a cultural center. It's a place of, it's a religious center. There were uh, lots of different religions that were being practiced uh, in, the, in the city. Uh, the Jewish religion, this new Christian faith that had come to pass, paganism, uh, lots of different faiths being practiced in the city. It was a military hub, right? We know the Roman army. Uh, this was the center of power for them. And so they had fanned out all over the Mediterranean. It was the most powerful military in the world at that time. And, and the good news about having a, a powerful military force in the world at that time was that there was this thing called the, uh, the Roman peace that occurred. That there was some level of stability. And because of the common language that people sp- spoke, Greek, uh, the passage of ideas uh, was going from place to place. There was a lot of roads that were built between cities because there was trade that was happening. So because Rome was also a commercial center and a financial center, goods and services were flowing along those roads. And then ideas would also be passing along those roads. Uh, So we know from Paul in his book of uh, Galatians, he wrote, in the fullness of time, God sent his son, which means that just at this moment in history, God sent Jesus in part because all these things were happening, right? There was a peace, a relative stability. Uh, There were opportunities for ideas and commerce to flow. You could travel from one place to another. It was the perfect time for the Savior to come. And Jesus did come at that time. And once he had been uh, crucified and resurrected, then his followers had the opportunity, the great opportunity, to go to all the places of the world with these ideas. And that's exactly what Paul was doing when he sent this letter to Rome, because there was a church there. It was also a... um, a military center. So it was this, this amazingly powerful, influential, significant city. And yet Paul is writing this letter to this group of Christians. Now we don't know exactly how many people in that, in that city were seeking to follow Jesus at the time. But we can't imagine that it was, it was a, it, they didn't certainly have big buildings like this. And, and how many bigger church buildings are there in our town, right? They didn't have a room this size. Uh, together. I would imagine that the whole of the church in Rome probably could have fit in this building. They gathered probably in homes and they were in fellowship with one another. They were serving and caring. And yet they lived in this powerful city whose ideas and ideals were in conflict to their most fundamental statement. What's the church's most fundamental statement? We were talking about this in our new member class this morning. Because one of the things that when when people join our church, they they do is they say, what does it mean for me to say that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior? And if you were a person living in the city of Rome and you made that statement, it was a pretty 
significant statement to make because when you say Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, what you're, what you're not saying is Caesar is my Lord. That's a pretty big deal. So the people in the church of Rome were standing against Caesar and the government and all that that represented simply by professing the name of Jesus. So it put them at odds with the culture. It put them potentially at odds with the politics and the view of the military and even maybe the commerce and certainly the other religions. So this church is trying to follow Jesus faithfully with this amazing profession and they are then encouraging other people to follow Christ. And so we can identify with this, and this is why Romans is such a great letter for us to study, because we, we too live in a country, and even in a city that is a commercial center, right? Think about how many goods and services and packages flow through our city. Right? We have one of the most significant airports in the whole entire world because of FedEx, and then all the other businesses that have come. Right? I grew up in Orlando, and Orlando was a little cow town before Walt Disney World came. And I'm not saying that Memphis was a cow town or a small town before FedEx came, but it has brought a lot of input and investment and significance because a lot of us either work for them or work for companies that, that serve them. And so Memphis is a cultural hub. Right? We've got our music, and we have our story. We've got the river. Right? We have a lot of these aspects that make our city significant. And yet we too are making a statement about who we're following, right? We're not bowing down to the, to the gods of this culture, to, to the commerce or to the military or to the politicians. We're saying Jesus Christ is Lord. And so that makes us distinct. And that may put us at odds with our culture in certain places and in certain ways. But you know what? They, uh, that little church in Rome didn't need political power they didn't need religious power. They didn't need military power. They had everything they needed to make their stand. And you know what? From that church, the gospel spread all over the Mediterranean. Millions and millions of people heard the good news, and they lived it out as followers of Jesus Christ. And so when we just begin to study, oh, let's, let's study the book of Romans. That's the people that this letter was written to. And we are the people that it was written for. And so what a privilege it is that we still have this letter that we can say, God, what are you saying to that community? And what are you saying to us? What does that mean for us as we live together as a people in, in, a, in a community of faith, wanting to, to live for our world, to serve them and to love them, but at the same time standing against our world, living in that tension and wanting to be faithful to God in the midst of it. And so that's in part why we're here is to learn and to grow and to understand What's my role as an individual in that expressing the kingdom of God? But then what's my role as a community? Because we do this as a family. The family of Woodland Presbyterian Church, wanting to sharpen one another, encourage one another, and, and empower and equip one another to go out and be the good news of Jesus Christ in the world. What a privilege it is, what a joy it is to learn from God's word. So that's kind of what we're doing. We're, we're wanting to, uh, to live by faith. It means not being, as I mentioned last week, not being conformed by the world, not living into what the world says, but rather being transformed by the world. And I kind of expressed it like this, right? Are you being conformed to the world? Or are you being transformed by the world? And, and if you're over here, man, I really feel like I'm being more conformed because I'm buying into what the world's saying. I'm wanting to 
increase my transformation by studying the word and we get this way and so slowly and slowly we're being transformed by the world we we live in the world we know what it's saying we understand the politics and the and the tension in the culture but we're transformed by jesus and his word in such a way that we can understand it and enter into it and try to influence it but we do this by faith that's the overarching theme of the sermon series is what does it mean to live by faith it's not because I'm good at it or I've figured it out. I mean, I tell you, uh, the more I uh, understand the Bible and the more I understand myself, I realize I'm really on a journey of understanding and growing in Christ. And I have so much to learn. And I'm so thankful that we get to live this out together uh, by faith, that God loves us so much that he would reveal to us uh, those areas where we're not walking faithfully and so that we can be more like Christ as a result of being with Christ. So we're living by faith. And... Part of this means just understanding the culture that we live in through the lens of the gospel, right? And what's the gospel? Anyone know? The new member class knows, right? We talk about this. It's the good news about what Jesus has done, right? All other religions are due. Here's what you need to do to get close to God. But our faith says it's been done. Jesus has done it. And because of that, then boy, we can live with freedom and passion and hope and joy and forgiveness. That's good news. All right, so let's turn now to Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. We're considering uh, gifts that have been given to us. Will you, if you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as members in one body, we have many, for as, as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Well, Lord, thank you for your word and for uh, the chance to study it and to, to listen in on this conversation that Paul and the Church of Rome are having. Throughout the ages and generations, Lord, you've used the book of Romans to challenge and to sharpen the church. And indeed, we've gained a greater picture of your glory and of your power at work in the church and the world, but also in our own lives. And so I pray that as we study your word and reflect on it, that that the voice that my brothers and sisters are hearing is yours. That you would be inviting them to, to learn one thing and to do one thing in response. Teach us and shape us and form us. May we be transformed by the renewing of our mind. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you think about the best gift you've ever been given, what is the best gift you've ever been given? This section of Paul's teaching describes different gifts that he gives to the church. And I remember one year when I was, I was probably 10 or 11 years old, I got um, 
a Chinese checkers game. Remember that Chinese checkers game? It was like a star and there were marbles that you had and I was not really very excited about it. And I got a baseball glove. And I already had a baseball glove, so I wasn't really excited about the baseball glove that I got. Now, hopefully my mom isn't watching, because um, even though it was 30 years ago, I did end up appreciating that. But at the time, I just was a little disappointed, you know? But I had this baseball glove, but it ended up being the glove that I used all the way through my whole extensive uh, baseball career, all the way through uh, ninth grade. I played, and we, we won the top team. We were undefeated that year. And uh, my baseball career came to a crashing halt. Uh, when I was in 10th in, uh, in grade, I hurt my knee really bad, so I couldn't play. So as a junior, I went out for the baseball team, and they needed 20 guys on the team, and I was number 21. So I got cut. Yeah, tear. Mm-hmm. Sad. I got cut um, from the team. So it was, really, it was really sad. But I was using that baseball glove. And sidebar, that team ended up winning the state championship and the national championship for USA Today. Jason Veritek, who played for the, uh, the Red Sox, he was on that team. So yeah, it's rings. So I'm like, I figure I'm the 21st best player in the country when it comes to baseball. <laughs> uh, but that glove got me through all that, right? And I still have it. it. It was a gift that I was giving at the time. I just was like, I don't really know if I need this or want this. And yet, it's, it's a cherished glove. You know, it's the old, the old mitt, right? You put it in and it just was something that I was so thankful to get. Have you ever been given a gift where at the time you just thought, I don't really know if I like this or if I'm going to use this at all, but then eventually it became something that you really cherished and has a lot of meaning for you, not only because you have the memories associated with it, but because it was useful and functional in your life. So the, if, here's, the, here's the thing. I'm going to just kind of not bury the lead here. I want you to think about what gifts God has given you and how you're using them to serve the church and to serve the world. That's the assignment for the sermon. You're thinking about what are the gifts that God has given to you, and he's given every single one of us a gift, at least one. What are they, and how are you using them? And if you're not currently, what are the ways that you can begin using them. Okay, that's, I'm just giving it away. It's not a flourish at the end, a discovery. It's, that's the assignment to think about what's God saying to you about your gifts. So he says in this section, he's, he says, for the grace given to me, right, given, there's the word given. We know that grace is a gift to us. I say, everyone among you must not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment for each according to the measure of faith that God has a sign. That's the first thing that God reveals to us, this gift of humility. As we're thinking about our gifts, which you might consider to be a strength, we want to have those gifts framed with humility. How are we framing our gifts with humility? He says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Right? So when you think about the gifts that you've been giving, what are the things that you're good at? The places where you feel like, oh, that's my wheelhouse. Like, I'm, I'm good there. Before you go too far, don't think of yourself too highly. He's encouraging us toward uh, humility. Now, I want to I want to say that there's a lot of life where we're kind of feeling like, oh, I'm not as good as people. I don't have that voice, or I don't have that skill set, or I don't have whatever. We think about that probably too much. 
But here Paul is saying, be careful about the gift that you do have, not thinking of yourself more highly than you should. There's a tendency sometimes for us to not be honest with ourselves about really where we are. So I I read a a book a long time ago called uh, Traffic, and it was just about how did uh, driving come about? Like there was a time when we were deciding, should we drive on the right side or should we drive on the left side? What color should the stoplights be? You know, it wasn't a foregone conclusion for all of history from biblical times what color the traffic lights were going to be. And it was just all these interesting aspects of, of driving. And one chapter was on the perception that people have on whether or not they're a good driver. So I want you to, to, to think right now, and if you, can, if you have a pencil or a piece of paper, write down on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the best driver that there is, and one being a terrible driver, write down what you would give yourself. What's your score on whether or not you're a good driver? Now, don't ask your neighbor. Don't get any input. Just think, what's my score? And don't do a range. Don't say, I'm between a a two and a seven. What's your number? Think about it. Okay, now, ask yourself this question. What number would your spouse or your relatives or your friends give you? Is it the same? Because studies show that when we think about ourselves as a, we think about ourselves as a good driver, but if you ask people, what would your neighbor or your friend or your spouse say your score is, it's always lower. Because we think of ourselves as good drivers. And there was another aspect of the book that was fascinating because we think of ourselves as good drivers because we have no idea all the accidents that we almost caused, but we didn't notice. I mean, how many times have you been driving along and like someone pulls over and almost runs you off the road and you nearly die and they have no clue? Well, that's you. You're doing that all the time. We all are. So they hooked up these cameras and to, to, to monitor driving and people were shocked at almost all the accidents that they had caused. Uh, so it's fascinating. But there's this tendency for us to think that we're a good driver and everyone else is a bad driver. And then when, when you get in someone's car, you're like, man, why are you driving this way? And you're like, what do you mean? Don't, doesn't everyone drive this way? We overestimate our ability to do things. And so Paul is just saying to us, let, let, let's with sober judgment be honest about who we are. Because there is a tendency for us to think, well, I really, I do kind of know everything. Because, man, you know, if I was wrong, well, I'd have a different opinion. But I basically think everything is, I'm, I'm right about everything. And here's my opinion on everything. So if someone, you know, asks you a question about such and such, you, you read someone's tweet one time and you feel like you're an expert on the subject because you read a tweet of someone or you read an article one time or I had a class. Oh, here, I'm an expert. Well, Paul is saying just be careful with that because we don't know. And boy, I tell you what, the longer I go in life, the more I realize I don't know. I, I look back at people who are 25, 30, and I go, man, if only you knew how much you don't know. If I only knew how much I didn't know back then. But I know this, I'm 51. When I'm 65, I'm going to be like, man, at 51, you were an idiot, Matt. So please forgive me for being an idiot now. I'll realize it in about 15 years. Don't think more highly than you ought, but with what? Sober judgment. Think through and be willing. And one of the ways that we can understand whether or not we know everything is by being in relationship, by being in community and using our gifts in community. 
Because when you're in relationship with people, especially people that love you and know you, they're willing to tell you, you're getting this wrong. And that's something in the South that we tend to not do really well, is to lovingly come alongside our brothers and sisters and say, you know, you're not getting this right. We tell someone else, you know, he's not getting it right. <laughs> but we're not getting it right all the time. The word reveals to us how we're called to live. And, but when we have humility, right, we have a posture of humility. We're able to say, you know, it's possible that I'm not getting this right, but I'm wanting to grow and I'm wanting to use my gifts. So be patient with me. Forgive me if I'm messing this up, but I want to learn along the way, right? That posture. Uh, we, we, uh, I was at a, a basketball tryout yesterday for, uh, for Silas and uh, a little boy from the previous tryout, he came off the, the court and his mom was talking to him and she said to him, the most important thing for you out there is, and I was eager to hear what she was gonna say. I, was gonna, I thought it was gonna be like, take more shots, take it to the rim. And she said, be teachable. And I thought that is a really important thing out there. And that's a really important thing in here is to be teachable. And when we're humble, we're willing to say, I have something to learn. I think that's what Paul is getting at. A gift that we're given is humility. A gift that we're given is humility. All right, now, uh, and, and one of the things that I love about this, this verse where he says this, um, at the beginning of the, of the chapter, he says, for the grace given to me, I say, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Humility is, is something that comes from grace, right? when we recognize, you know what, I, I'm not the person I'm supposed to be, and yet there's a God who's infinite, who absolutely loves me, and who cares for me, and is willing to accept me for all my faults, and all my mess ups, and all the ways that I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing, that God still loves me. And so when we understand that grace, boy, that should lead to humility and our posture toward one another uh, in the church, outside the church, we just have this teachable spirit. And that's, man, if you only learn that, if I can only learn that today, that'd be a wonderful thing to learn about that humility that comes from grace. Uh, the second thing, that I, uh, uh, the gift that I think Paul is encouraging us to receive as a gift is the gift of, of unity, the gift of unity. Verse four, he says, for as, one, at, for as in one body we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. We are, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually we are members of one another. I mean, and, and if you think about this, like for, for those of us who've been in the church for any length of time, we, we understand this picture of the body of Christ. We, we've learned about these things, but boy, we live in the most individualistic society that has ever existed. Right, and it's just such a cultural aspect of who we are, it's really um, difficult for us to understand a familial or traditional culture where the family decides together what the people are going to do. Because for us, the, the message that we get is you decide what your life is going to be, uh, make it happen for you, you can go anywhere, you can do anything, you can be anyone, uh, and and it's a good thing for you to be an independent person who's an individual. Now, of course, there are some valuable aspects of 
being an individual because there's a freedom to move from, from one socioeconomic status to another. There's opportunity that comes with that, but there's also some downsides about it. I was listening to an interview with um, Tua, who is the co current quarterback of the Miami Dolphins, second Miami Dolphins reference in two Sundays. How about that? Co former uh, quarterback at Alabama, and he, he grew up in Hawaii, and they were interviewing him like, how did you decide to go to Alabama? And we have a few Alabama fans in the room, I know, and the rest of us can't stand you for winning all the national championships all the time. But just try to put that aside. And he was talking about his decision, and he, one of the things he said was, uh, my dad decided. I was just like, what? I mean, that seems like a thing where each individual football player is being recruited and told, you have these gifts, and you should, you're going to be the greatest, and you're a five-star. He could have picked probably any place he wanted to go, and he ended up saying, my father decided. Now, evidently, his dad had some wisdom because they had a pretty good career at Alabama. But that, this young man was willing to entrust this decision to his dad, spoke, and I'm not saying that's how it ought to be, but for him and that family, this was a decision that came from the family. It seemed just so distant and different from what we do. Because, you know, in Memphis, a lot of us have said, okay, you're in eighth grade, which high school do you want to go to? That's kind of a thing in Memphis. But here, the family was deciding, which was which different. And so um, Paul is sharing with us that, that we're together. We're members of one body. And think about like this metaphor that he uses. He uses the metaphor of the body, right? We know we all have these different parts of our body, or you got a brain and a heart and muscles and a, and a pinky and eyeballs and all these aspects that all work together. And every one of those parts of our body has a purpose and a function. And there are times and seasons or there are issues where some people may have to have their arm taken off because of an accident or something. Or you need to have a transplant of an organ. And you can function without that. But generally speaking, it's good to keep all of our body parts functioning in the way that they're supposed to be. I heard the story about a guy who was playing for the national championship in a game. And it was like two days before, before the game. And he broke his pinky in a really bad way. And this is how I remember the story. So just please bear with me. Don't Google this because I, you know, who knows. Just a pastor illustration, right? Um, and he broke his pinky and the doctor said, you have to have extensive surgery on it and you're going to miss the game. And he said, cut it off. Yeah. And he was of age and they had this back and forth conversation and he's like, I'm not missing this game. I want you to cut off my portion, this portion of the pinky. So the doctor did. And the guy said, you don't realize how much you use your pinky until you don't have it. He just, this is an expendable finger. And he didn't say he regretted the decision, but it was like just using a zipper. You use your pinky when you use a zipper. When you don't have it, 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 it's not as easy to do. And so you think, okay, this is an insignificant aspect of my body, and yet it's also part of how God has created me. And when it's not being used, then the body doesn't function in the way that it should. Okay, so then how does this connect to you and me? Right? If everybody here who's a follower of Jesus, has been given a gift, what if there's someone in the room who's been given a gift and they feel like it's not a significant gift, it's just a pinky kind of gift, and they're not using it? What does that mean for the community? 
example, it means that, that we're not living and functioning in the, in the most optimal way. And this is not about like getting results. It's about being the body of Christ. Because you may think, well, well I, you know, I, don't, um, I don't sing like Gene, or I don't play like Betty Sue, or I don't uh, you know, preach like Matt. My gift isn't as, as important. But that's just not true. Your gift is vitally important to the body of Christ. And if you're not using it, then the body of Christ is not what it could be. Now, maybe you're feeling, I don't know what it is. Or maybe you're feeling, I don't know where I should use it. Well, that's what this sermon is for, is to ask yourself the question, what is it that I'm gifted to do? And sometimes it takes a little while to figure out. You know, they have things called spiritual gifts tests. You can, you can take a spiritual gifts test. I would just encourage you to start doing things. Start serving. And the thing that you like, keep doing it. The thing that you don't like, stop doing it. Get on a committee. Start ushering. Just say, hey, how can I serve and do? Um, whatever it is, start doing it. And then you find the thing that really is the thing that you like to do. And it doesn't have to be just in the church. When I say in the church, I mean with this group of people, out in the community. How are you using the gift that you've been given to bless the world around you and to give glory to God? What is that thing? This is some space for you to consider it and to ask yourself, because if you're not functioning in the way that you have been invited to function, it's a detriment to the community. And here's the other thing, is that when, when we see, when we, uh, our church, this community, when we see you using your gift, it helps us to see God. Right? When, when you're doing the thing that God has called you to do and faithfully do it, we see God working in your life. And what does that do? That encourages us and it blesses us. And we see God in a new way because of the way that you're responding in obedience to him. Have you ever heard of the Inklings? The Inklings were uh, this group of guys uh, that would get together. C.S. Lewis was part of the Inklings and J.R.R. Tolkien was part of the Inklings, and they would get together, probably at a pub somewhere in England, and discuss one another's literary works, right? We know C.S. Lewis was one of the most significant um, Christian authors of his time. Obviously, J.R.R. Tolkien uh, is, is a Lord of the Rings and all those books, The Hobbit. So they would just get around and talk about books and encourage one another. There wasn't really an agenda often. It was just discussing uh, literature and other, other matters. And there was a man in the, in the group named Charles, and I don't know what his books were, but at one point in the, in the, the lifespan of this group, Charles died. And C.S. Lewis uh, said, uh, and J.R.R. Tolkien's first name is John, he said, I know less about John now because Charles died. Because when they would get together, there was something about Charles that would bring out different aspects of John's character that C.S. Lewis didn't see when he was just with, with, uh, with him on his own. And so this is a great metaphor for us because when, when you serve God and you love God, it helps me to know God more. And think about that. When you worship God and you use your gifts, I understand more of the character of God because you're responding in obedience to do the thing that God's called you to do. Because I have an area of, an, of interests. I have passions, I have giftings, and I'm trying to use those, and you have different ones. 
you have different areas where God has equipped you uniquely to serve. And, and if I'm only looking at what I'm doing, I'm not going to see God in his fullness unless I see what you're doing. And so it's a benefit to me to encourage you to use your gifts because I'll get a greater picture of God. And guess what? That happens for all of us, right? When someone has a heart and a passion and says, I am really committed to doing this, and I want to see this happen. I want to see this change. Uh, one pastor put, he put it this way. He said, what's your holy discontent? Meaning, what's the thing in the world that just, man, you know, this isn't the way it ought to be. I want to do something about that. What's that thing for you in, in the church or in the world? What's that thing that makes you go, I just wish it wasn't this way. And I, I'll get up early in the morning to try to fix it. I'm going to use my, my creative energy and my, my passion or my power or whatever I have to affect change. That's your holy discontent. Do you have one? Are you using your gifts to try to leverage faith into those areas? What is it? So um, he uses this um, illustration of the body that brings us together in unity. We are um, created and connected together when we see each other using our gifts. Um, and this is also just uh, encourages our relational aspect. Uh, and then the last part is responsibility. God gives us a responsibility. Um, he, he calls us to use our gifts. He goes through in this last, uh, last verse, last couple verses, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. I've already talked extensively about that, right? If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service, if teaching, if exhortation, if generosity, and our acts of mercy, there's seven different gifts there. Now, I'm not really big into Bible numerology things, like, you know, this date's going to happen with this, but there's seven, right? That's an important number. Now, this is not an extensive list of all the different kinds of gifts there are, but this just gives us an in indication of the different kinds of gifts that are given. To do what? To glorify God, to build up the church, uh, to, to, to communicate to the world the message of the gospel. Because you see, not everyone is going to have the same role. We all have different. So let's just look at a couple of these gifts. One of these, it says, if prophecy. Uh, the word is prophetes. So we, we often think of prophecy and we think, oh, that's like predicting the future. Like the Old Testament prophets, they were predicting the future. And about 10% of what they were saying is something that's going to come true in the end. But 90% of what prophets do is they speak the word of God into situations. Being prophetic is to say, this is how God's word applies in this moment and in this situation. And boy, don't we need that. Don't we need people in the church and in the world to be able to say, in a loving way, this is how God's word would speak to the situation that we're in. And he's saying, if you have that gift, you need to use it. It's always good, though, to allow the Holy Spirit to sanctify that gift. Because imagine, you know, prophetic people who are not walking in the Spirit, they can just be harsh. They can say, here's what's wrong. And you know they're right, but man, the way they say it is not building you up or encouraging. They're just harsh. So if you have the gift of prophecy, part of your responsibility as a believer is to sanctify that gift and to be prophetic in a way that communicates God's truth with love. Uh, what about in service? Uh, the word is diakonos, right? We have an office called deacon. 
This is a gift. People love to, to work behind the scenes. They would never want to be up front if you gave a million dollars. But boy, they can come alongside and care and encourage and love with tangible expressions of faith. Are you that person that wants to serve? Who are the people that God's called you to serve? Well, look around. Look around your neighborhood. Look around your office or your classroom. Look around the room. Serve. Use the gifts that you have. Teaching. Uh, exhortation or encouragement. Man, uh, I've said this a lot, but you know, uh, the guy who's true at Kathy, the guy that started Chick-fil-A said, you know, you can tell if someone needs encouragement, they're breathing. Everybody who's breathing needs encouragement. It's too late for those of us who are not breathing. So use your words to encourage and to build up and to say, hey, I noticed this and I wanna say you did a great job. Thanks for doing that. It's not puffing people up with just flattery but it's offering a word of encouragement. How much does it cost to encourage someone? Is that in the budget? Cheryl's on the finance committee. Do we have room in our budget for encouragement? We do, okay. It doesn't cost anything. But what encouragement is, is instead of thinking about, man, what do I need right now? It's what does someone around me need? And I recognize that like, we're, often, we're the center of our own story. But encouragement is having a bigger picture of what God's grace is in your life to be able to say, I want to bless you by saying, this is something that I noticed that you did. And, you know, you can comment on someone's purse or, you know, their, their beautiful hair. That's fine. But commenting on their character and their way of life and, and building them up, man, that's a needed thing. Encouragement. One who contributes in generosity. Have you been given the gift of generosity? Now, I want to say something about all these gifts. I think we're all called to speak the word of truth. We're all called to be teachers. We're all called to be servants. We're all called to be encouragers. But some of us have a greater gift than others. Are you the person that God has been called, has got, God has gifted with generosity to release the resources that you've been given to further his kingdom? Live into that gift. Find ministries and people and organizations that are glorifying God in different ways and be generous. Certainly that for all of us, it's we're called to give generously to the work of God and the kingdom in his local church. But for others, it's to say, how do I resource what God wants to do and is doing already? There's so many worthy causes to be connected to. One who leads, lead with zeal, right? Be passionate about gathering people. Man, what the church needs is more leadership. What's leadership? Someone willing to say, I'm willing to bear the burden of the cost of gathering people, of sending people, of encouraging people. Are you a leader? Do you have people that look to you for guidance and for direction? If you have anyone that is under your authority that you have encouragement over, then you're a leader. Lead with zeal. We need more leaders in the church, in the world. And then acts of mercy, do so with cheerfulness. Acts of mercy are just uh, kindness, just looking around. What's your gift? Remember the assignment from the beginning of the sermon. What is your gift? This is not an exhaustive list. What's your gift and are you using it? What's one way this week that you can use your gift to glorify God and to serve someone else? As I mentioned, we're all called to, to do all of these things. We should all be prophetic. We should all serve and teach and exhort and give and lead. But some have specific intentional gifts that they've been given by God. And it's like the, the illustration where um, if you're not using your gifts, right? If you, if you, where, where's the pinky? in our community 
Has it been cut off? And maybe, maybe you just struggle with the confidence to, to be able to step in. Maybe you need guidance. We, in the new member class we were talking about, we have this time and talent survey that we go through. And it's just a few of the ways that you can serve in the church. Maybe you're thinking, I don't really know what to do. Well, one of the best ways to discern that is to say, is to pray. And to say, God, what have you gifted me in? How can I use this to glorify you? Because you will be blessed. I want to just tell you uh, one small story about one person in our church who is, is using his gift and I believe is blessing us and is being blessed by it. And his name's Don Pig. And he's been an elder in our church. And his wife, Kate, was a, 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 Sunday, or a um, kindergarten teacher at Woodland for a really long time. And she's going through a really tough time. She's experiencing depression. And it's really hard for them. And it's so hard that it's difficult for Don to even go out of the house. He's taking care of them. And he's uh, loving them. But just being gone for too long is difficult. But one of the things uh, that Don does uh, every Monday or Tuesday is he comes up and he helps count uh, the deposit. And he uh, accounts the checks and the money that they put into the system and the gifts that, that you give, that you offer in the offering plate and that come in through the mail and all the different areas. He helps to put those together with Didi and then he takes the deposit uh, to the bank. And in some ways that's a really small thing. Don's retired, he has the time, but it's a sacrifice for him to give that time up to do this thing. But it's a really important thing because Dee Dee needs help with that. It's, it's a good thing for Don to take the deposit. And, but I tell you what, you know what? I love when Don comes in because he himself has had prostate cancer and is going through uh, difficult things. His PSA is up and down and they're trying to figure out what to do. But you know how many times I've had a chance to pray with Don at Dee Dee's desk? A lot. And it's because he's taking a couple hours out of his week to serve. And I know it's good for us because we need that service. But I know it's good for Don because he's able to come up here and to be encouraged. And I know it's good for me because when I ask Don, I go, Don, how's it going? In the midst of, um, you know, tests that he's got to take and struggles, facing the challenge of trying to love and encourage his wife who's in a difficult spot, he, you know what he says? Matt, I'm just thankful. I'm just thankful. And I'm like, man, I know a lot of people who have a lot more going on in their life who aren't thankful. And so when I see Don, I'm always encouraged. He's a person of joy. He's a person of love. And he's using his gift. And it may not seem like a big deal. And if Don said, I'm turning in my two weeks notice, we would probably be able to figure out how to get that job done. But I know for him, it's a blessing. For us, it's a blessing. For me, it's a blessing. Everybody gets blessed by that little act of service that takes a couple hours a week. So what's yours? What's that act of service that you can do that would encourage you, that would encourage the community of faith, that would encourage the people around you, whether they're following Jesus or not, that would bless the Lord? What is that little thing? Don't underestimate... Don't overestimate your gifts, but don't underestimate what God can do through a simple act of service. You know, we, we may say, oh, I'd love to be like Billy Graham who can get in front of a stadium full of people and just as I am, they all come down. And that's fine, that's Billy Graham's ministry. But I'm telling you, 
We need more Dons in our community. And I'm looking at them all over the place in this room. What's the little thing? Don't underestimate the significance of what God can do through your active service to do the thing that you love to do for the sake of the kingdom. What is it? That's your assignment. That's your assignment in the sermon to think through and pray through this week. And if you need help on that, talk to someone who's serving. You can send me an email. We can meet and talk it over. But I just want to encourage you in that. What is your role? Are you using your gift? Will you pray with me? Thank you for listening to this message from Woodland Presbyterian Church, maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. Again, if you'd like to learn more about our congregation, please visit us at woodlandpres.org. Thank you very much, and God bless you today.